Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given his grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. That's why the scripture says, when he climbed up to the heights, he captured prisoners, and he gave gifts to the people. What does this phrase, he climbed up, mean if it doesn't mean that he had first gone down into the lower regions, the earth? The one who went down is the same one who climbed up above all the heavens so that he might fill everything. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and the knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. Thank you, Rick, for that reading. Um, I'm going to pray and ask that God would speak to us through his word. Um, And for those who don't know me, my name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here. And I get to, I get to share uh, God's word with you this morning. So let's pray together. Lord God, you are a God who speaks to us. Thank you that that is true. You are a God who is with us. Thank you that that is also true. So present God, present speaking God, please talk to us this morning through your spirit. Speak to us a word of hope, of love, of grace. Speak to us a word of challenge and of call so that we might be the people that you are shaping us to be through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. 
So you heard Ephesians 4 read to you, and there are at least seven sermons um, in that passage, so I'm only going to preach four of them. Uh, but we're in a series in the book of Ephesians, and we've been, we started this a couple months back, and it's taking us through this, the end of this, or the end of May. Uh, and the idea of the book of Ephesians, it was a letter written by Paul to a collection of churches in the area of Ephesus. And he's wanting to give the people there an understanding, um, a behind-the-scenes picture of what the church is. What's at work in the church? How is God, um, up, what is he up to in the people who he's called together um, in this thing that we call church? What is God wanting to do and accomplish through us, his people? And so we've, we, I started at the beginning saying that the book of Ephesians is broken up into two main parts. You have the first three chapters, which is really Paul talking about this big cosmic picture understanding of what God has done in Jesus, calling a group of people to himself, giving them an inheritance, showing them grace, and at work in their lives continually being built up um, in Jesus. And then the last three uh, chapters, starting with chapter four, is really a way in which this begins to work itself out in the flesh and blood of life. So we're turning the corner this morning into the last three, three chapters of Ephesians. So given all that Paul has talked about, everything that God has accomplished in our lives through the person of Jesus, what does that actually mean in our living it out? Those are some of the questions that Paul wants to explore um, over the next three chapters, beginning with today. Uh, but today, in this passage, still in Ephesians 4, there's a turn into this living, but it's also some almost some ground rules that he's wanting to, to lay down. Uh, before we get into the very specifics of what it means in terms of our relationships and how we're to live out the calling that God has given to us in, in our friendships, in our marriages, at our workplaces, he wants to lay some groundwork, some ground rules for how we as a community of God help one another toward this. And so he begins here in Ephesians 4, if you want to turn your, to your... Uh, Bibles or your phones or whatever it is you use, um, your memory, uh, page 977 in the, uh, in the blue Bibles, and we're going to start in Ephesians 4, 1, and I'm going to give a kind of a broad picture of this passage and some of the trajectory of, of where Paul is moving, and then make some specific comments and how I think it might work itself out for us here at Grace Long Beach in 2019. So he begins here, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So live life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So I want to stop there for a moment. What is Paul referring to in terms of this calling? And, and living a life worthy of that calling. And so what he's referring to is what he's been talking about. This calling by God through Jesus for us to be a people together who share an inheritance, share the riches of grace, who God has formed, remember he's talking to Jews and to Gentiles, into a new humanity. This calling that he's given to us, we need to live a life worthy of that calling. Now, I don't know about you. I'm just going to have an aside briefly about the word calling. Because I think 
the word, at least in terms of how I've heard it used in my life or how I've even used it, is kind of confusing and different than what I think Paul is doing here. Because I have a conflicted relationship with the word calling. People ask me all the time, when did you know, or when did you feel called to be a pastor? And often I say, I don't know. I'm still waiting. Uh, and because this, there's this sense of, of, of calling toward a specific thing, right? We use it often in, in, in reference to a job or a vocation. People talk about feeling called to do this thing. That there's this something within them that they have to do. And I have very rarely felt that. I can maybe think of two specific instances in my life where I felt like I knew what I was supposed to do. Often it feels like I am simply attempting to be obedient and discern what it is God is up to, and usually I'm just confused. Uh, And so I don't know if that's your experience of life, but it certainly is my experience of life. And so what is Paul talking about in terms of living a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called? Well, he actually be, he will answer that later in this passage. So if you want to turn or look um, to verses 14, we'll start there, or 15. He says this, after all of this, and we're gonna, I'm going to tease some more of this out, but he goes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But right there at the beginning of 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. There's this sense that the calling to which we've been called is to grow up into Jesus. That is what we are called to do together. So for those of you in your life, we are all called, if we've been called by God, to live a called life of one who is growing up in Christ. Now, growing up in Christ is going to take shape in wherever you are specifically. So whatever it is you do with your life, the way you spend your time, the relationships that you have, the jobs that you have, every place is an opportunity to grow up into Christ. That is the calling that we've been given. That is the life that we are to live into, to live a life worthy into that calling to grow up into Christ. Earlier in in chapter 4, he talks about growing into the full stature, maturity, measure of Christ. So it's this idea of growth. Now, if you go back to Ephesians 2, in verse 10, I described how God, through all of us, is we are his, his masterpiece, in a sense, that he's creating out of our lives works of art. But we are also participants in what God is making. The, that life with Jesus is actually a creative endeavor. The way that we grow up into Christ is a dynamic working out of our daily existence. Now, I don't know for you, but for me, when I became a Christian, the Christian life wasn't just immediately downloaded into my operating system. But sometimes I think we live as if we expect, as if that is the case. That we have, we, we have been given everything we're supposed to do. We are not supposed to, to mess up. We are not supposed to fail. We are already supposed to know everything we're supposed to do with our entire lives. 
And so therefore, our lives then become what feels like a very difficult, um, constant attempt, and yet failing at what we're called to do. But Paul has a very different description of the Christian life. It's a description of growth. It's a description of, of working itself out. It's really a creative enterprise, living life with Jesus. I love listening to people talk about creativity and the creative process, and so I just want to offer a few metaphors of how it's been described that I find really intriguing. So I have, there's one picture, a writer, he talks about the act of writing as something like driving a car with the lights off in the dark, and it's totally foggy. The only thing that he knows as he's writing is the next thing as he gets closer. Another description of, of the creative process is something like, like the, the act of ironing. I don't know if any of you still iron, but if you do, there's this sense, right, where you, you create something, you, you kind of you iron something, and then you kind of have to go back over it, right? And then you go a little bit further the next time, and then you continually work out the wrinkles, I've heard it described as almost like painting a room. That the act of the creative process is, is when you paint the room from floor to ceiling, you can't start at the door because if you do, you're going to paint yourself into a corner. But you begin to, to start in this place and, and you begin to paint and then you realize, oh wait, oh, oh no. And you have to step over again what you've already painted and you have to start over again until finally you find the way out of the door and the whole room is painted. I love that image. See, life with Jesus is in many ways like a creative process. where We are working constantly to live life near and with Christ. And we will discover that we are going the wrong way. And we will need to course correct. Or we don't have all of the tools that we need in order to be able to do what we feel like we've been called to do. And so we need to we spend time with Jesus as he continues to form us. But life with God is a journey, and it is a process. But the Apostle Paul includes himself in that process that he himself also needs to mature. Because when we are called by God into life with Jesus, we are all immediately beginners. And we are all always in the process of growth. But notice in this passage that Paul does not assume that this can happen alone. That the process of growth, the process of life with Jesus, of actually growing toward maturity and into the fullness of Christ, does not happen outside of a group of people. But it requires that we are with one another, moving and growing. And so that's the beginning and end of this passage, that we are to live a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called, and that calling is to really be toward the process of growing up in Jesus. And we are maturing and working toward it. None of us have already arrived in our life with God. And if you think you have, then I have news for you that you are wrong. And it is good news To know that you are wrong because it means that you can experience grace in your life with Jesus. 
So then if we are in a process of growing toward Christ, and it's required that we are a part of this body and to, to grow up in Jesus, then there's a way in which our we together in our life together, we can help foster and nurture that growth. And so Paul then is going to begin in chapter in verse 2, what a community looks like that helps to foster and nurture growth in Jesus. A, a community that helps to nurture and foster growing up into life with God. And so what, is, what are some of the base virtues, some of the qualities that it would take for us in order to be a community that allows for growth and maturity? We'll look in verse 2. I'll start in verse 1 again. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So in order to to be a part of a community or to help engender a community in which we can grow up into Christ, we need to be people marked by humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another. So what is Paul saying? He's saying if, if, you, if we are going to actually live out this creative life with Jesus, we need an environment that's conducive to living that way. And it's not an environment that, that, is, that is restrictive, that is critical, that is cynical, but it's an environment that is open, that is gracious, that is humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another. That there are actually postures of our life together that will help us grow up into Jesus. And he names what those are. Humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another. Eugene Peterson, um, he talks about the church being something like a conversation. That people are, uh, enter into with God and with one another. And it's an ongoing conversation an ongoing working out of the calling to which God has given us. Because the calling that we together, as a group of people in Grace Long Beach 2019, at its base and at its root and behind the scenes, it's the same as what Paul is talking about. But in terms of how it's going to work itself out, must, by definition, be different than it was here. It has to be. We live in a totally different time with totally different distractions and difficulties and temptations. So the way that we live out our life with Jesus here and now is an ongoing conversation with God. It's a work of discernment of what God might be calling us to in Jesus. And in order to work that out, because it's not all downloaded to each of us, we are going to get into conflict. We are going to rub against each other in wrong ways. We're going to feel like other people have it wrong, and they might. And you do too. We're going to do it in ways where we aren't as gentle as we should be, and we realize, oh, we're, we're being a little aggressive. We're going to do it in ways where we want to hurry up. And we're going to do it in ways, or it's going to force us to just be irked, PO'd with people uh, on a constant, continual basis. 
And Paul knows this. So he says, look, if you're going to live out the calling which you've been called to growth in Jesus in your context, this is what you need. You need humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another. In this ongoing conversation of discernment with the spirit of what God is calling us to, these are the qualities that are going to help us grow up into Jesus. Here's a quote from Eugene Peterson that I find helpful. He says they, and he's talking about these words, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. They refer to the way the words, and here, when he's talking about words, he means this ongoing discernment, conversation between God, the church, and our culture. They refer to the way the words um, are spoken and the relational element in which they are conveyed. The only adequate, worthy way to articulate this calling in and by the church, this company of the call, is with humility, gentleness, and patience, which means without arrogance, without harshness, without hurry. Becoming mature is a complex process that defies simplification. There are no shortcuts. And isn't that frustrating? (laughs) Isn't it frustrating that it requires a long obedience in the same direction, that it requires us to actually go through the work of becoming the type of people that God is shaping us to be? That is so hard. That is so hard because it means, by definition, that we will get it wrong. I was talking to my three-year-old, well, he's now four, but he was three when I was talking to him, and my six-year-old was also there, and I was trying to get him to do something, and he does everything when he wants to do it, uh, and, which is never when I want him to do it. So I was trying to get him to do something, and, and the way I was speaking to him was not kind. And he said, Daddy, you're speaking to me mean. That's what he said. And, and I was thinking in my head, well, you're speaking to me mean. Uh, and I didn't do that, but I, I was, I was, but I knew it. And I, it was like a mirror to my, yeah, to myself in that moment. And we got done what we needed to do, and I was putting them to bed. And, and, and I said, Ellie, you know, I, I, like, I'm really, I'm sorry. Um, you're right, and I need your forgiveness. And then Asher, my six-year-old, just piles it on. Yeah, Dad, seriously, like you were not speaking kind to Asher. <laughs> and uh, and it, and I don't. He, 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 you sounded really stressed and angry. I'm like, okay, I get it. Okay, I messed up. Um, <laughs> but what that moment is to me is a reminder of the environment that is required in order to be people who are shaped into the likeness of Jesus. It requires an environment in which I can make a mistake, in which my three-year-old can tell me that I did, and in which I can then move toward him in, in the process of trying to repair and to reconcile. And I think in our churches, that is actually often not the case that we don't often have an environment or nurture an environment where we're able to grow in that way. Where I can be myself in all of my messed up glory. Where you then and have the freedom to let me know that. Where I then have the humility to receive it. And then that we can together can do the work of repairing and reconciling. See, the crazy thing about life with God in the church 
is that we need the church and we need relationships to be the people God is calling us to be. I can't do it alone, and you can't do it alone, and we need it. And the way that we need it, the way that we gain humility and gentleness and bearing with one another is by living out often of pride and of being annoyed with a person and not being so gentle and not being so patient and then somebody letting me know that. Which is why Paul later in the same passage talks about speaking the truth in love. But we need to be a community that's committed to this calling of growing up in Jesus and helping to foster and nurture an environment where that can actually take place. Paul continues to go on and to name other, another thing that's going to be required if this is going to work out in our growing up with Jesus. Verse 3, we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we need to have the virtues of humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. But we also need to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Because as we know, culturally, but also in our church, because we have history, and we have things, we have history of not maintaining the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, that there's a real threat to this all the time because we are human beings and we are trying to work it out. We are trying to work out our life with God together. And so things happen. And so Paul, remember Jew and Gentile, back in chapter two says a new humanity is created, breaking down the wall of hostility. Now I want you to pay attention to a few words that Paul uses here, eager, so there's this sense of desire, of working toward, of wanting it. So you need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Desire it. Grab hold of it. Work toward it. It's not a passive possibility. Maintaining unity is something we need to work at together. But then also notice that language of maintain. You can only maintain something you've already been given. So this isn't a suggestion of, hey, can you, can you guys get unified? Can you work to have unity? Paul says, you've already been given unity. You've already been given one Lord, one God, one baptism, one spirit. Our life together is, is to live in such a way that we maintain it. So our reality is being called by God in Jesus is that we have unity. Isn't that interesting? I find that so fascinating. Because often having unity needs to, it sounds like so much work. How do you do that? But if it's above me and above us and something that the Spirit of God has given to us, then we need to be eager to maintain it, to create an environment that nurtures such unity, that helps to preserve it. I mean, that's what we are called to do together. Leslie Newbegin is a missiologist. He was a missionary in India. And he has this, he t- one of his major works in life as a missionary 
is to, to help foster unity between churches for the sake of the gospel. How do different churches from different backgrounds, different denominations work together for this one call that they've been given to by God? And he says this, all disunity among Christians is a contradiction of that upon which their being Christians rests. It has the character of sin, being a rejection of the God-given nature of the church. The quest for unity must therefore be regarded not as an enterprise of men and women aimed at constructing something new, but as a penitent return to that which was originally given, but subsequently denied. Do you get what he's saying? Unity is already something we've been given. Any disunity we see in an attempt to return back to that unity takes the shape of repentance. And I, I think that's so striking to me. Because what it means is, if the Spirit has already said, you, you are one people, defined by all of these one things that Paul talks, which I'll go down the list again. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's what's true already. And we, as God's people, and what Paul is imploring the church of Ephesus to do is to maintain that unity, which is constantly being threatened for all different reasons. That is what we together are called to do. And Paul's going to continue to go on in this passage. And he's going to describe then what is at work in the church to help foster this growing up in Jesus. Yes, there are postures and virtues we need to rest and to live, rest in and live into. And yes, there's this unity we need to maintain together in the bond of peace, that peace being Jesus Christ. And then he can, continues to go on to, to talk about what the ministry of the church is actually supposed to do, how it's supposed to function. So here's the thing, that you can measure all of us by us, I mean elders, pastors, whomever. Here's what your measuring point for whether or not we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Are people growing up in Jesus? And are we living together, building one another up in love? According to Paul, those seems like the two most important things in terms of what all of the ministry of the church is supposed to do. If you go on, and I don't want to skip, this is, I, I will make a, a mention. So in verses 8 through 9 or 10, it's just super confusing. You read that and you're like, why does this exist here? So I want to make one comment about that because I do have something to say. I just don't want to go into a whole lot of detail on it. So what Paul is saying here, he's, he's referencing Psalm 68. And in that psalm, it really it's like an enthronement psalm of God being lifted up of taking captives, those who've, who, who need to be held captive, and giving gifts to his people. Now, by Paul appropriating that text here, he's, he's referencing Jesus as being the one who is enthroned, the one who has the power then to bestow upon his people the gifts that he's been given. And it's interesting where it finds itself here in this text because it's almost like this hinge point, right? It's this hinge point of saying it's all about Jesus. Jesus is to fill all things, and he is above all things, and he bestows all things. But before, so after that, after doing that, then Paul is going to talk specifically about the ministry of the church. 
and the gifts that he's given to it. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So what's the point of everything that we're called to do as a body together? Why are there teachers and apostles and prophets? In order that we as a people might be equipped in order to build up the community, to build up the people of God, to grow up into Jesus. That's the point of this calling that we've been given to be a people together. And the foundation is love. The foundation of where it moves and lives and where it leads and what it's attempting to foster is a community that's building itself up in love. There is nothing Nothing more important than people who are called by God, given life in Jesus, who are then living creative lives with Jesus for the sake of growing up into Jesus. And the way that we know if that's happening is how we love one another. Are we building one another up in love? Now next week we begin a process of where we really press into testing the limits of our unity. And we're going to talk about this, this conversation of, of women as elders. And it's easy to think, oh man, what's going to happen? I'm so freaked out. What are we going to do? I don't know. It's easy to kind of be scared about that. But I also think that it's, whatever conclusion we come to, yeah, it's, that'll be interesting. But really the work that we're doing together in order to, to build one another up in love and to figure out and sort out together what our calling is to live this life with Jesus, the type of people we're becoming is even more important. The way that we do this is what matters. Whether or not it is seasoned with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, whether or not we're building one another up in love, that's what's more important. That's what I think God cares most about, honestly. I think what God cares most about is whether or not we're going to be people who are moving toward one another, living called lives, understanding the truth about ourselves, and that we've been brought together, together, for the sake of growing up into Jesus. That's the calling we've been given. That's the opportunity we have before us. And there are so many things beyond the now that will continue to test the limits of how God has brought us together. But we've been called together. We've been given unity. And it's, we need to work out in unity with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in order for us to be shaped into the people God is calling us to be. I want to end with a couple quotes by Dallas Willard, who has really worked to talk about and flesh out what it means to live life with Jesus, that it requires our participation, particularly in the area of practices and of recognizing that we are in relationship 
to a person. Paul talks about growing in the knowledge of the Son of God. That's not a knowledge of knowing something about Jesus. My wife would not be happy if I knew a lot about her. But to know a person is to be intimately involved with that person on an ongoing basis. That my life is then shaped and changed by that person. And that's the life that we're called to in life with God, in life with Jesus Christ. And so here's what Dallas Willard says. Um, And somebody asked him, so what does it mean to actually glorify God? That's something we talk a lot about. But what does that mean? And he says, well, to glorify God means to think and act in such a way that the goodness, greatness, and beauty of God are constantly obvious to ourselves and all those around us. It means to live in such a way that when people see us, they think, thank God for God if God would create such a life. I love that so much because it makes me think that if we're together, we're living as a community in such a way that God would be calling us toward, then people would be thanking God for God. They might have a sense, a new sense of God's activity and thanking him for the type of of culture, of environment, of people that he is creating. In essence, we become people who through our lives articulate the gospel. That in our ways of being together, in our ways of being together in suffering and in joy, in times of struggle and in times of ease, that that becomes a way in which we tell the world about God. And that the world then might say, thank God that he's doing that. Imagine if our lives were lived in such a way That people didn't know what to do with how they were feeling. The only thing they could think to do was, well, thank God for that. For what he's up to. I love that so much. And I think one of the things as we look, as we press into, and we who are preaching have been trying to offer some posture, some practice to, to maybe turn your attention to beyond this. Because sermons are great, but honestly, like, what matters is that you're living life with the chief shepherd who is Jesus. And that anything that happens on Sunday morning pushes you to be in relationship to him. And so we're attempting to give you practices or thoughts or things to pray and think about that might help you attend to Jesus and his life with you and your life with him. And I want us to press into or think about turning attention to these postures, these virtues that really help engender a community um, that is that is conducive to growing up into Jesus. And so again, I end with a Dallas Willard quote. And he specifically talks about humility, but I actually think it could, it's in reference to all of them. All humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another. I think what he says here is, is really foundational for each of those. He says, God will, give, will gladly give humility to us if trusting and waiting on him to act, we refrain from pretending we are what we know we are not, from presuming a favorable position for ourselves and from pushing to trying to override the will of others. This is a fail-safe recipe for humility. Never push, never presume, never pretend. So as we engage together now in this season of our life together as a church, I'd like us to be praying toward this, to be working toward living a life worthy of the call to which we've been called 
and working it out with humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another, asking God for it, and never pushing, never presuming, and never pretending. And I don't know what better practice to help us engage in the, the posture of humility than the, than the practice of communion. Because you can't come to communion pretending. Well, I guess you can, but then what's the point? Because you don't have to. This is for you and who you really are. You can't push your way up to the table. You can't pretend your way up to the table. And you can't presume your way up to the table. You are called to the table. And the correct open posture is to say, yes, I need this. So as we engage in communion this morning, I challenge you to be considering how this really embodies our life together and the calling to which we've been called in Jesus Christ. To be people who are marked by humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Because as you are receiving, so also are others. You need it, and so does everybody else. This is what equalizes us. But also, this is a way that we we remember that God has already done the work of uniting us through his grace, through his giving of himself completely and wholly for us that we might experience life. So I'd like to pray, and then I'll call the servers and the the worship team. You guys can come forward and pray for this time. God, you are the God who gives. You are the God who's held nothing back. You are the God who has united us in you. Help us to be people marked by humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another. Help us foster within us a desire to maintain the unity that you've given to us in your spirit. As we engage these elements this morning, as we hold them in our hands, God, I ask that they would be tangible expressions of what you've done in the life that you've given. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.